Hello, everyone. This is Saqib. Uh, it's time to do another episode for Tennis with an Accent. And uh, we had an, quite an exciting uh, day of tennis. And Chris Otto has... Uh, it's very kind of him to join uh, from his apartment in London. He was covering Wimbledon for Tennis Now. He's the voice of Tennis Now. He has his own podcast. I'm sure most of you know uh, him by now. So, Chris, uh, thanks for doing this. I know it's kind of late. Uh, I really appreciate you taking out the time. Hey, Sakib. It's really nice to talk to you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so, you were uh, at the championships. I think you've been there for from day one. And uh, how was today... Uh, as, as a media person there, what, what are the stories that you were focusing on? Just walk us through briefly and then we can take a deeper dive into the action that unfolded. Yeah, you know, I kind of had a, a mind of my own today and I really wanted to check out Kazakina against Ben Artvank because I have enjoyed the way that Kazakina is playing. I like her personality. I thought it was an interesting match between two people who had never been to a Wimbledon quarterfinal. So I drifted out to court 18 and got to take in some of that one courtside. So that's kind of where my day started. I didn't spend too much time there. I was up in the media center kind of, you know, heading into the press room and catching some of the interviews and then watching a lot of the stuff on video. I didn't go into center court today, but of course I had my eyes on that as well. So basically, you know, frantic manic Monday, tons of matches everywhere. Just try to take in what you can and absorb it as it comes. Uh, and uh, what do you make of her chances since we already spoke about her now uh, against Kerber? Kerber is the highest remaining seed, you know, go figure that, number 11, and Kasakina is 14. So that's like uh, uh, the most uh, loaded matchup at this section uh, in this stage of the tournament. How do you see that one unfolding? I think it's really an exciting matchup. I mean, Kerber has built her form back to where she's performing obviously much better than she did last season. She hasn't really broken through at any of these majors, but she is the only WTA player to make the second week at all three slams, which is nice and impressive. Uh, she scored a nice win today, but uh, her and Kazakina have been somewhat evenly matched. They played a third set breaker at Eastbourne. I really couldn't say which way to pick this match. I do know Kerber has a lot more experience. I mean, I think she's heading into her 10th major quarterfinal. This will be the second for Kazakina. But we can't overlook the importance of Roland Garros last month. That was a big uh, a big experience for Kazakina, so that will help her there. Um, so I see it as being a really interesting match, and it's going to be the more opportunistic player who's going to get through I don't really see any big advantages either way tactically. I think they're going to slug it out, and I think it's you know there'll be a fair share of breaks. It should be an exciting match. I hope it's a, a good, entertaining match, and it's close. Sure. And then uh, there's Yelena Ostapenko, you know, the former French Open champion, uh, who, according to me, uh, definitely has the tools to succeed on grass because grass, even though it's bouncing higher, and you know whatever the narrative is every year, it still you know uh, rewards someone who is a short maker. Uh, so what do you make of her, Wimbledon? Did you get a chance to see any of her matches yet? Yeah, I've seen her play and I've talked to her and she really seems to be warming up to the grass. It actually, the way she's speaking, it sounds like it might be her favorite surface. Maybe that's just the mindset she's in right now, but she's really loving it because I think it allows her or maybe forces her to be more aggressive. And we know she has no problem playing aggressively, but I think when you just like take the chains off and let her just hit out, she feels good about it. And she mentioned that a lot of players that she competes against aren't comfortable on grass. So I think she knows that her ball has enough pace to really make it difficult for other players to defend. I mean, she's got outrageous numbers on the return side of things. I think um, 
I think she's won 72% of second serve return points through four rounds. Um, she's, she's just, um, I think she's got leading the tour or the, the remaining players and return winners with 15. She's just playing the kind of tennis that we know she's capable of playing. And, you know, it's funny. I talked to her after round three she, and I asked her, like, do you feel like the pressure is off now that you have that Roland Garros experience? behind you where she of course was defending her title and lost in the first round she didn't say a whole lot about it and then today in press she said a lot about it and she feels like the pressure pressure's been lifted and she's just really excited so um she's dangerous i i mean i was kind of drooling over a potential final with her and serena williams i think that would be a very interesting one yeah even if uh, you know if uh, ostapenko and kasakina come out and play a semifinal, that'll be something uh, but uh, yeah. are you willing to write off uh, Chibulkova, who probably has a chip on her shoulder? But uh, not being seated also, I think she has to admit kind of worked in her favor. She knocked off Kanta and now she's sitting in the number one seeds draw. Uh, are you writing her over in this match, right? writing her off? Or you think she has a chance of uh, coming out as good as Ostapenko? Uh, absolutely good point by you. I am not writing her off. She does have a chip on her shoulder, though she won't talk too much about it outwardly. Clearly, she does, right? She has been one of the best servers in this tournament, which you normally don't think of Sybil Kova and serving, but she has been efficient. She has been strong from the baseline. I think she leads the eight remaining players, winning 61% of her baseline points. And now, mind you, Ostapenko has been strong in that category as well. But uh, Sybil Kova, surprisingly, has been getting a lot of unreturned second serves, which is... I'm not sure if she's going for broke on her second serve, but yeah, it's an interesting matchup because Sybil Kova has been doing really well in serving. She's second in in service games, one out of the eight remaining players. And then you have Ostapenko, who's this really strong returner. It's going to be kind of a, a matchup of at least currently what Sybil Kova is doing best against what Ostapenko is doing best. I kind of would favor Ostapenko, but the heart and the fight of Sybil Kova, I'd never rule her out. I think that could be another good match. I, both matchups on the top half to me are just like, Perfect. I mean, people are complaining about the top 10 seeds being out of this tournament by the quarterfinals. This is the first time it's ever happened at a slam on the women's side. It's crazy, but these matchups are good. No, these are rock solid because uh, it's hard to pick a winner, at least in the first two. And then uh, let's quickly take a look at the bottom half here, uh, Kiki Burton. Uh, she was um, my serious dark horse at Roland Garros, but the things didn't pan out uh, to form. You know, she was an early, early casualty there, but now she's beaten Venus Williams and she backed the win up today. Uh, now she's going against Gurgis. Uh, who, who are you fancying in this one? And uh, is there a clear favorite or is this, again, one of those evenly contested matches? Yeah, I, I fancy Burton's because I think Gurgis has not been returning well, but she's been finding ways to get through. Uh, they're both really surprised that they're through so far. So it's really a, about which player can kind of get grounded and actually look at it as a, as an opportunity rather than already feel like they've accomplished enough. It's Burton's might struggle with nerves. Maybe Gerges will too. This is a hard one to call. I hope it's a high quality match. It feels like one of these matches that has a potential to be kind of like nervy and kind of a, a little bit scattered, but uh some my I get a little Burton's feeling, but it, it's a tough one to call again because these are two two players who are just experiencing something brand new on the grass. I mean, Gerges had lost her last five at Wimbledon, and now she's into the quarters. That's kind of crazy. And like you said, we never thought of Burton's really as a grass player, but she's doing pretty well in the service now. She looks 
she looks very strong the way she's playing. I mean, you know how that, that big game can translate as long as she's got her foot her footwork down. So it seems to be working out for her. I think you hit on something very, you know, understated. I think we all talk about pressure in sport. It's sometimes overused, but it's still very underrated because I think here's an opportunity for these two players who've already had like decent careers, maybe not stellar. They're not household names for casual fans, but if you follow the sport, they're right up there. So yeah, now I think sometimes this kind of a match, uh, it's, it's harder to play someone. Uh, I don't know exactly what the head-to-head is. It's harder to go against someone when you really know you have a chance to go to Wimbledon semis instead of going against a bigger name like a Venus or a Serena yeah. or a defending Magaruta if she was around. So yeah, I think that match has a lot of intrigue for me. But I'm with you. I think I'm... I was impressed with what Burdens did today. Uh, and I think she backed that win over Venus. Uh, took out Plishkova. I think now she, uh, for me, she's a slight favorite in that match. Yeah, and uh, um, Kiki's 2-0 against Gerges. And I think Burton's having that Roland Garros semifinal experience, though it's a different surface. I think being at that stage of a slam might help her a little bit as well. And last but not the least, definitely, you know, uh, she was my pick to win this thing. Uh, Serena Williams, so it's uh, kind of looking good. Usually, I have you know made a lot of atrocious picks, but you know with Serena, you really can't go wrong. <laughs> even though there's still plenty that can go wrong. So, uh, w- what's the vibe in the press room? I mean, uh, you've attended, I'm sure, uh, some of her matches. Uh, sat in the press. Uh, what is the sense like? Are people you know looking for that title? I think it's, is it coming or is it match by match? Uh, what's the body language in the press room? Everybody expects it right now. I mean, you know, you look at the field, the field is the remaining eight players. We've got, you know, three Grand Slam champions, but but only one, (laughs) only one with 23 majors. But but, you know, the main thing is that we're seeing Serena serve well. She's, you know, incrementally increased her service speed over the first three or four rounds. She's looking a little bit more commanding. She's had now four matches to get comfortable. Uh, She hasn't dropped the set. She... You know, had to play one tough tiebreaker against Mladenovic, but handled that. Georgie should be a nice matchup for her. She's 3-0 against the Italian, and the Italian is, you know, maybe maybe in over her head being in a quarterfinal at Wimbledon. It's a nice achievement that she's gotten this far. So you have to like Serena's half of the draw. You just have to like everything about her right now. It feels like she's almost back at full tilt. Maybe she's not, but against the relatively against the competition she's had to face here, she's looking mighty strong. Yeah, I think so. Uh, again, you know, uh, we never know how this is going to play out, but uh, she's definitely uh, an overwhelming favorite. And she's also looking good, not just because, you know, uh, what her name is and what she has accomplished. I think she she, she means business, and I think she's primed uh, to go for the distance. You're right. Uh, and then uh, let's take a switch, uh, let's switch the topic here on the other side, uh, the men's side. And uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, I think this is the best he's looked uh, just after that contentious match against Edmund. Uh, which you know he you know he won in four sets today to me he he was it was a race against the time he wanted to beat the darkness he was against heavy hitting russian uh, karan hashanov and to me djokovic looked like again i wouldn't go what's the djokovic of old only he knows but i think he looked like a contender today yeah i think he's looked like a contender since queens i mean he has improved so much week by week. Maybe if you start back in Madrid, I mean, I know, again, it's different surface, but we saw him really start to just find his game, find his motivation, find his balance, both like psychologically, tactically. Everything is coming into place for him. I'm starting to feel like he has a very good chance to win this whole tournament. 
and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have imagined I could feel this way two months ago. I knew it was going to come. I knew that there, it was going to come, and I knew when he signed up with Marion Vida back as his coach, that was probably a good sign. But, yeah, he just looks better and better. And you know what? I love his grass game. I think he's – you know, Hatchinoff had just – he's such a strong hitter of the ball, but it just didn't matter against a, play, a player like Djokovic who can defend so well and handle pace so well and get creative and just – he, it was just like a cakewalk for Novak. He did, I think he was probably extra motivated to get that match done. But yeah, I mean, I'm really like I'm really enjoying having this lower half with Rafael Nadal finally getting back to quarterfinals. Novak playing this way. There's a lot of intrigue down there. Yeah, and then there's one Martin Del Potro. I think that's one name that people never write off. Of course, uh, we we all think and have been guilty of sometimes just penciling in the big three. And I think that those three are the favorites. But I think uh, Del Potro, of course, he got extended by Simon. Uh, he did. What do you think of that situation? You think, uh, is it a big disadvantage? I mean, Grass still is slightly forgiving if Del Potro can ride a serve and close this out quickly. You think he's at some serious dis- disadvantage against Nadal of playing an extra day? Slight disadvantage, I'd say. You know, just because you'd, you'd rather be resting and prepping for Rafa than having to play one, maybe two sets with Gilles Simone, who's no joke on the grass. So, yeah, it's a little bit, you know how these things work, you, you know, round by round, whatever happens, whatever set you lose, whatever um, minor injury you pick up, they add up. And when you face a guy like Rafa, who's not known for his grass prowess in the last five years, but is finally back in those quarterfinals for the first time since 2011, it, it does Hurt a little bit, but then again, we know what Juan Martín del Pozo is capable of when he sets his sights on something, and when he when he gets into that state of mind where he he's win at all cost mode, and if he can dispatch Simone quickly, I think uh, that match with Nadal could be great. And uh, and who are who are you leaning towards that? Uh, of course, you know we cannot write Simone off if if del Pozo does win. That's, a, that's still a big if because Simone, like you said, is a very accomplished customer on grass. He's a veteran. He knows how to close these situations. He knows how to make these matches into more complicated situations. But if Del Potro does come through and the blockbuster match does take place uh, and if Del Potro doesn't spend too much energy, you think he has enough left in the tank for Nadal? I do. I think I'd give him, certainly give him a chance there. I'd favor Nadal, but you know, Del, Del Potro, there are times where he just is very magical player and you know, dating all the way back to the 2009 U.S. Open final. He is healthy, I believe, 100% healthy, and he's got the weapons on grass that, that we know cause a lot of problems for Rafa, so I'd certainly give him a fighting chance in there. I mean, obviously it'd be ideal if he can win that set, take it in four tomorrow and get out of there and, you know, find an ice bath and get ready for it. But, yeah, I, I give him a chance. I, I still am kind of tabbing Rafa potentially to be in that semi but but boy that would be a fun one to watch wouldn't it uh, sure uh let's also take a look at the the top of the of the draw uh Federer is i think in the 16th Wimbledon quarterfinal and he'll be playing Kevin Anderson who's made his first ever uh grand slam quarterfinal outside of New York so and Federer has a pretty i think uh, uh i think he has n- never lost to Anderson so can Anderson uh can Anderson cause uh an upset, or how do you see that match there? Probably be the most challenging match for, for Roger. It might be difficult for him to break his record for consecutive streaks one, which is now at 32, and the all-time record that he set in 06 is 34. So maybe 
maybe that happens. Yeah, but I think you're right. The head-to-head between Federer and Anderson favor Roger. He's he's playing great. I mean, he's he's the king of grass. He really is. I don't I don't want to sound uh, cheesy about it, but man, is he good on the surface? He hasn't had faced great competition yet, and I think for a lot of a lot of us in the press room, that's been the disappointing part of his half of the draw is that. We want to see him challenged. We want to see him pushed. We want to see him, you know, be forced to bring out that genius that we know he has on the grass. And maybe this will be the match that we see it a little bit more because, you know, we know Anderson has that giant serve. We know that he's very close to upsetting Novak Djokovic. Forgive me. I don't remember the year. I'm going to guess and say 2015, maybe 2014, where you had him two sets to love. So there's a chance it could be a good matchup. Again, I I think this is Rogers half. Maybe he'll – but you never know. He just – that's why I play the matches, right? I mean, but, but what have you seen from Federer? I mean, you must, I know you know him really well. It's, it just seems like right now, I mean, taken from where he was in Halley to where he is here, he's just so much more comfortable at, at Wimbledon on center court. He's just in that space. It's going to be tough to take out. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, this is, again, the best of five scenario. And the one week in between did help him because, you know, he hadn't played a lot of tennis since losing to Kokinakis in Miami. And I think he was pretty impressive in Stuttgart because that's the kind of opposition that was expected, you know, besides the big three, Milos Raonic and Nick Kyrgios now gone. But those are still, I think, five or six best grass court players out there. Of course, yes. uh, and healthy Andy Murray would change that figure. But, uh, yeah, so I think uh, Stuttgart Federer looked good because that's the old school grass court match. And, you know, he held his nerve and wait, waited for his chances and won that title. And uh, credit to Borna Chorich, you know, for delivering the Halle upset. Uh, mm-hmm. To your point, I think, yeah, Federer is steadily improving. Uh, there were uh, instances against Truff that I think he brought, He brought, you know, he was tested and he brought his game. And again, I think, you again, no one's trying to play easy. I think that's what Mert was saying. But a lot of times you play as good as the opposition is, you know, and then sometimes you do rise to the challenge. So today, Manorino had a good one set in him. But at 5-all, f- uh, 15-30, he netted that easy forehand. And, and could, you know, from there, it was downhill. Yeah. Uh, and Anderson, again, yeah, he's, he's, he's playing the tennis of his life for the last eight or ten months, but uh, every day is a new day. He really would have to have a, you know, a lifetime kind of a performance, but it's not out of the realm uh, because we've, have, we've seen these kind of things happen, but uh, Roger, I think, is a firm favorite, according to me. Yeah. And just, uh, last but – sorry, go ahead. Well, I just, I just think Federer is going to have to get his return game going now. I mean, he's certainly going to – he's certainly stepping into another level of competition here with Anderson – and potentially Raonic or Isner, it's time for him to really get serious and find ways to break these guys because I don't think he wants to do it in all breakers. Yeah, I think this is uh, that time of... I remember his old matches against Karlovic, and he broke Karlovic, I think it was 2004, long, long time ago, first service game of the match. And then he won, I think, a couple of tie breaks after that. So I think that's the kind of rhythm. Uh, Federer likes these kind of matches and he's had a pretty good record against this kind of a player yeah. uh, in most places. Uh, and again, you know, some of his losses have come against people who can play uh, all-round tennis. Uh, you know, the Songa loss is, you know, such an anomaly with Songa was on fire that day and then Burdick match and of course we know Djokovic and Nadal. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the last but not the least remaining match. John Isner is in the mix for the first time, you know, riding his serve and finally delivering on all that promise that was built with that that kind of a weapon. And then he's playing Milos Raonic, who is kind of the forgotten man, but I think he, he's someone who was in a Wimbledon final not too long ago. Uh, 
Uh, I'm leaning towards Raonic. Uh, don't know why, but uh, Isner is pretty impressive because, you know, the way he handled Sitsipas today was, you know, I didn't see that coming. I thought that match will go four or five. Uh, what's your take on that that matchup and who comes out to play the winner of Federer, Anderson? First off, Isner is playing very well. You know, by far the best he's played at Wimbledon. And he was down a mini break in the second and in the third to Sitsipas, and he found some really good shot making to, to get those deficits and to win in, in straight sets. That was an impressive win. Sitsipas was in really good form. Pretty pretty good stuff from Isner. Now Raonic is a different story. He kind of came in with a little bit of doubt because he left Queens with an injury, flew back home. He had a pectoral injury, but he's back here, and he's it's kind of like he never got injured. He's he's really a good player at Wimbledon, and he seems to have some kind of magic here. I think he's gotten the gotten the semis before. Of course, 2016, he was the runner-up. Last year, quarterfinals, you know, it took Federer to take him down. And I'm with you. I favor Raonic. I, I think he knows how to win at Wimbledon. I think he has a lot of belief here. Obviously going to be a close match with a lot of tight sets. But, yeah, I think I think Milos is um, – this is a place for him to shine. I, it's going to be tough for him to keep moving on, obviously, the, the, if he wins his semifinal probably with Federer. But, yeah, I, I like Milos' chances. I like the way he plays at Wimbledon. I think he's a he's a very serious contender for this title if if the other players kind of slip up and, and give him chances. And he, he's ready to certainly take a, any opportunities given. And I do believe law of averages do catch up, even though you answer the names of Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic, because some of these guys, you know, can bring out any day. Just because it hasn't happened, it can happen. So that's why we play. And uh, Chris, that was wonderful. Before we conclude this, uh, there's this topic that always surrounds Wimbledon, especially with scheduling a lot of players, you know, uh, their their names do circles. But uh, since you are attending the media and you're part of, uh, you know, many tennis writers, what is the consensus among the informed folks who know what the process is or why some of these imbalances do take place. If Nishikori and Gulbis are on court, why was Djokovic not on court at the same time somewhere else? And since Wimbledon doesn't have lights besides, you know, center court, and that's only used if it, with the roof. So what, according to you, goes wrong and why it's a close shave? And now Del Potro is the one who has to play. Djokovic beat the darkness. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, it's well. You're always going to run into some problems because of the matches starting at one, and then, then you know the the tournament wants to take care of the grass, and and that's fine. Now, the Djokovic situation was tricky because a lot of people are upset that they didn't move him to center court and instead moved the mixed doubles match with Azarenka and Jamie Murray moving over there. They could have done that before, and rumor has it that. Djokovic was matches was was going to be canceled if Anderson and Monfi went five. That ended up going four. They got on court. All's well that ends well. But it, it feels like that Djokovic almost every year now at Wimbledon, he's like perched perilously close to getting really screwed by the schedulers. And we don't really know. There's not much transparency, so we don't really know why that is. We know that he gets a lot of he gets out on court one rather than center court a lot, and it's not. It doesn't always seem fair. And, you know, we know how these Grand Slams work. There's always trouble for the player that gets, you know, behind a day and has to play matches on back-to-back days against a player who's had a day off and is well-rested. And it isn't fair. And it can't always be fair. But a lot of times it seems like the scales are tilted against Djokovic. And that's what a lot of people in the media seem to feel, at least the people that I was talking to tonight. At his presser, after his presser, a lot of the comments I'm hearing is like, I I don't know what – do they have something against – Djokovic, we don't know, but it sort of feels like 
it it does, and it's easy to kind of think that maybe it does. So it's it's a little bit strange, and it's kind of weird. Djokovic just kind of seems to be aware of it. He seems to be handling it really well. But I mean, tonight it worked out, so that's good. That's the best. He cannot get yeah. He cannot get distracted because he has goals. You yeah. know, he decides to win this whole thing. And if uh, you know, even if he's feeling something, I think he's smart enough and polished enough not to say because you don't know. You're not going to win those. You know, you can make a statement by winning the whole thing. But I, I certainly think I talked to Richard Evans uh, a year and a half ago. He's someone who's you know been covering the championships as they call it uh, since uh, since the seventies. And I asked him the same question because this question does come up every year. He said, compared to other places, Wimbledon, you know, has its own way of doing things, and they may be seen as flaws because you know they they are not conforming to what is you know happening. Uh, it's such a traditional place. I mean, not playing on Middle Sunday and. You know, show court started at 1 p.m. and yeah. that's always the imbalance. Instead of court assignment, if the time was same, I don't think you'll have this kind of, you know, uh, issues. And then he said there's a it's a 300-member strength club and a lot of decisions are done with the members and, and Federer and Murray are preferred. I mean, yeah. th- that's the way it goes. But I don't want to shorten Wimbledon, even though I wouldn't mind Federer. You know, Federer should be playing on court one. You know, it should be a fair pool. That's totally fine. And I think uh, they keep putting him on center. But uh, on the other hand, I just made a point this morning. Uh, Wimbledon does do some good things too, like putting yeah. the tickets out there uh, compared to U.S. Open for a fan experience. I mean, you know, you can, you know, camp out and still have one of the best seats in the house, and you don't have to pay uh, a huge, a huge amount to get those tickets. Uh, so it's all's not bad, but definitely they should really, you know, look at you know these these things. Uh, they should they should study this, and uh, I don't know, you know, if there's any intent behind it, but definitely. Uh, you know, they, they can, you know, they can clear this image and at least uh, not have the same names involved in the conversation. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, maybe it goes back to this tradition. You know, in the early 1900s, they had the challenge round where the defending champ would just wait while they played a whole different tournament to meet the, meet the defending champ. You know, they have a lot of respect for their champions and their traditions and Federer is the ultimate champion there. I mean, you can't deny that with his eight titles. So I guess maybe eight titles speak more than three titles at Wimbledon or Rafa's two titles. But, but yeah, it, it's it's definitely worth talking about, debating, and if there are any imbalances, you know, trying to right them and make make these tournaments as fair as possible they possibly can. That's always a good thing, right? Absolutely. Hey, on that note, it's I know it's pretty late uh, there in London. Uh, you know, uh, get a good night's sleep, and I know you have to report back to the facility tomorrow, cover more tennis. So we'll be looking forward yes. to it. And uh, do tune into Chris's podcast. Uh, they do a fantastic podcast. I, I started listening to that myself. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, and we should produce one or two more episodes before the finals. Thank you.